The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode 877 for Monday, June 21st, 2021. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We take your questions, we take your tips, we take your cool stuff found, we share them, we try to answer the questions, we try to, well, we try to add as much information and find as much information such that each of us gets to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. That's our goal. That can be your goal too. Sponsors for this episode include linode.com slash mgg. Fastmail.com slash MGG and Headspace.com slash MGG, where you get a free one month trial there for Headspace. We'll talk more about each of those in depth in a few minutes. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are we today, Mr. John F. Braun? Adequate. Adequate is, uh, you know what? Uh, that That's a. Uh, that's a bar to hit. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. After the, after the last year plus, whatever it's been adequate, that's, you know, it's not terrible. So there you go. I'm glad to hear you're at least adequate, my friend. Uh, I think you're more than adequate, but you know, it's about how you feel. Uh, Peter has a quick tip for us, John. Peter says, did you know that when you are on the desktop of your Mac, so, you know, highlight an icon on your desktop or, or otherwise don't have a window highlighted in the finder, command plus and command minus will resize your desktop icons. I had no idea. I didn't even know that you could do this, let alone knowing that you could do it with command plus and minus. Evidently, you can do it if you go to finders, you know, view options in the menu there, uh, if you're on the desktop and you, there's a little slider and of course hitting command plus and minus moves that slider. But, uh, I had no idea. It's not in the shortcut, you know, it's not in the menu. There's no, yeah. yeah. Yep. It's just one of those hidden things. Beautiful little quick tip. I love it. And we got this, uh, from somebody else. I think listener Mark sent this in this morning too, perhaps. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good one. So yeah. Thanks for that, Peter. Good stuff. All right. Uh, Chris has one uh, for you, Dave, uh, from a, a past episode. We were talking about screenshots, and uh, Chris uh, says, I'm 99.9% sure you know this, but didn't mention it in the last episode where you discussed where screenshots go. You said you wished instead of going into photos, you would like screenshots to go someplace else in iOS. I'm not sure about automatically, but if you open the screenshot snippet that pops up, then say done, you'll get a screen like the one below and can save uh, the screenshot wherever you want. Or at least it gives you more than one option. So Interesting. Right. I never thought about that. But you're right. Yeah. You get the save to files option. And of course, you know, I mm-hmm. save mine to Synology Drive, but I can, you know, Synology Drive is linked into files, so I could save it there. Yeah. All right. It's like you said, it's not automatic. It's probably easier. I wonder if there's an, a hazel way to do this or some sort of automated way on my Mac to take things that fall into the screenshots category in photos 
and have them automatically moved or even copied, I suppose, to uh-huh. right into the screenshots folder that I have synced amongst my Macs. I don't know. I like I I, I need to think. I don't because it's not a folder. It's just a like a it's a smart album or something. So, um, but I bet there's a way to automate something like that. I'll have to think about that. All right. Cool. Thank yeah. you, Chris. Thanks, John. That's good. Man. Screenshots. Okay. Yeah. 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 And you can set the, on your Mac bonus quick tip, mm-hmm. uh, by default screenshots are saved to your desktop folder, but mm-hmm. you can save them anywhere you want. And Onyx has a parameters section where you can change lots of parameters, including the destination of your screenshots on your Mac. And, also, you can set what format screenshots are in. You can choose like JPEG or PNG, or I think you can even have them save it as a PDF if you want. I don't have it open in front of me, but uh, but yeah, Onyx will let you sort of tweak those things. So I have on all my Macs, I have set it to a shared folder in, uh, like I said, in Synology Drive, but you could use Dropbox or whatever. In fact, I think Dropbox used to, I think it was Dropbox that inspired this because they, they used to have a a way to like in their app, you could check a box and say, save all your screenshots to Dropbox, which is, I, which is where this started for me because it, it's awesome to have my screenshots all available on all three of the Macs that I use on a regular basis in office studio and laptop. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And you kind of suggested it, but, uh, when you do the screenshot, uh, there's an options button and that, Gives you the choice of where to save it. Uh, timer. Never used that before. I'll have to play with that. Right. Right. Um, and some other options. Huh. That's good. Yeah. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, let's see. Moving moving to listener Scott. Uh, staying on the iPhone. Scott says, I often have to send someone's contact information in an email when using one of my iOS devices. Of course, you can use the share contacts function at the bottom of the appropriate record inside the contacts app. But I've always found that to be a cumbersome process. Open contacts, find the contact, create the card, copy it to the email, etc. It's a nuisance. A faster way is to simply enter the email address into one of the fields like the CC or BCC field in the email. Then just drag that address down into the body of the email and it will magically form a ready-made V-card with all of that contact's info. Then just delete the email address that you entered into that field, presuming you don't want to send the email to that uh, person, and you're done. He says, this only works in iOS, not macOS. He says, I'm mystified as to why, because it's so handy. For someone like me, whose laptop is an iPad Pro and who works on their phone a lot, this is a super shortcut. I wonder if Monterey, uh, if Mail in Monterey would do this. Uh that's a that's a great little shortcut quick tip, man. I never like that's I I I am curious if you stumbled onto that, Scott, or if you read it somewhere, because that's a great one. That's good. So cool. All right. Um all right. And Steve has one for me that I'll have to try. Um so in last in in a prior show I heard the segment where John was having problems importing pictures from his mom's camera. I had a similar problem. I have a Canon EOS 30D. Oh, nice. Uh, 
um, that I was trying to import pictures from. When I connected via the USB cable, nothing happened. There was no device in the finder. However, like John, when I went to the Photos app, my camera was showing there, but it wasn't showing any pictures. It wasn't accessing the SD card. After the typical IT steps, power on, off, reset, unplug, replug, nothing happened. Then I happened to look up in the upper right of the window and see a button that labeled Import All. When I clicked it, my Mac started importing the pictures. All right, I'll have to look for uh, have to look for that. Huh? Yeah. Okay, that's a good tip. Like, uh, when in doubt, look for the import. I mean, usually when you click import all, it's showing you all the thumbnails. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, all right, cool. That's a good tip. Listener Matt has uh, has something to say for us or to us. Hey, John and Dave, and maybe Pilot Pete. Matt from North Carolina calling in with a quick tip. I may be the only one, but I don't think so. Um, I love using sign-in with Apple. So anonymously, you can uh, start an account and then log in. In this instance, I was doing it for DoorDash. Um, So set up an account. That was all great. And then logged into the account, but I need to get a hold of my password uh, because I wanted to have one of my sons log in when he goes away to college and use this account, which I think is fair use. But since he doesn't have an Apple ID the same as ours, he can't just log in automatically, which is the way it works through Face ID or Touch ID. So I just wanted to say that when you go to log in to such an app, there's Use Apple, which is like a big black button. But below that, and you might miss it, there's also use another Apple ID. And so that's how another user can install that app and it will actually allow them to um, be kind of a separate user, um, but in, but also share, I've, I hope this makes sense, also share the actual account. Yeah. So um, good luck with that. And I hope that helps somebody out there who's looking to find out how to find the uh, passwords when you log in through Apple sign in. You can't. It has to just be your uh, Apple ID, but you can have different Apple ID folks sign in. Just don't hit that black button. Look below it and say sign in with another Apple ID. Thanks. Awesome. Don't get caught, guys. Uh-huh. Thanks, Matt. You too. Yeah, that's great. That Okay, that's good to know. And this idea. At first, I was like, well, why wouldn't your son just have his own DoorDash account? Well, you may be whatever they call them, DoorDash Plus members or whatever it is, where you pay 10 bucks a month and then you save on fees when you use it, which we are. We became DoorDash, whatever it is, DoorDash Plus members during, uh, you know, over the last year when we were doing a lot of DoorDash. So sharing that with our kids who are at school, I agree. That seems like fair use to me. Don't get caught. All right. Um yeah, Ed has um, a quick tip. I set my iPhone to offload unused apps in order to save space. And you do that in settings, app store, offload unused apps, Un- offload unused apps. It's easy for me to say, folks. The problem is when I want to open an app that was offloaded, the phone tells me that it will open once installed. But then there's no progress indication. That's very annoying to me. Here comes the tip. Open the app by searching for it in the app library, which is on the last screen of the phone here in iOS 14. 
There, it will show you the typical sweeping clock progress on the app face. You still have to wait for the download, but you can at least tell how close it is to being done. Yeah, that's right, because you have to try and relaunch it after it finishes downloading. So, ah, that's a great tip because you could see it in it like if in prior to having the app library, you could see it on the home screen, you know, wherever it was on your home screen. But if you've shuffled the app off of your home screen and it only exists in the library, that's where you can look for it. I find the app library is good for a lot of those things, you know, uh, deleting apps, moving things around. Like you can do stuff to the apps that are in that list there. It's not just a list. So maybe that's the, the meta quick yeah. tip. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't really use it. Do you have all of your apps on your home screen? Oh, yeah, no, I, I don't. I have one home screen now. I, I am I am yeah. all in on all app right. library. Yeah. Well, when when my new when I got my new phone in the fall, I decided I would start fresh. And so I did not, you know, I installed on my Apple I, with my Apple ID, but I didn't restore from the cloud or anything. And I only the point was to only install apps that I um that I was going to use, you know, deleting apps that you think you're not going to use never happens for me. Cause I'm like, well, I might want to mm -hmm. use that. And then I don't delete it. Uh, but then I never use it. So I just installed apps as I, you know, as I went through, I still haven't put ways on my phone. I've been using Apple maps and it's wonderful. Oh yeah, I know. I, I used to hate Apple maps, but it's like, well, let me try it without, you know, Apple without ways. And it's been great. Uh, I also, yeah, I, I still go ahead. No, I should give it another go because yeah, I mean you, the the uh, updated maps looks uh, looks really slick. It's awesome. <clears throat> yeah, it's been great, and it really integrates well with CarPlay. No great surprise, uh, but so does Waze. I mean, uh, you know, they they mm -hmm. do a good job with it too. Uh, I do keep Google Maps on my phone because that allows me to explicitly save offline maps. Uh, and I like to have offline maps of like my local area or areas to which I'm traveling. So I do use Google Maps for that purpose, just in case I find myself in a scenario. And it's happened a few times where it's like, you know, like when we were out in Portland picking up Lucas, there was somewhere that we were and it was like, you know, sketchy service or whatever. And I was like, I need to drive. I was like, ah, Google Maps. I pull it up and there you go. I was like, thank you, prior Dave, for saving future Dave's life or, you know, just saving my day, I guess. It didn't really save my life. Uh but yeah, I have everything in app library. I put very few things on the home screen, which has been fantastic. So that, you know, that whole idea of, of clean slate, it works for a lot of reasons, or at least worked for me. All right. Uh, Tim, a follow-up from the last episode uh, where we were talking about Apple pay and the, uh, you, the email address that is shared with people from whom you buy using Apple pay. Tim says, I have a comment about that. You can actually set the default address for Apple Pay, the default email address in settings in iOS. Go into settings, wallet and Apple Pay, transaction defaults. And that's where you set it. So thank you for that, Tim. Great little quick tip. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Perhaps uh, before we move on, anything on that one, John? No, no. Look at that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Look at that. Exactly. Yep. The things you didn't know were there until we looked. Uh, listener Andrew shared what is certainly my favorite quick tip of the week. It might be my favorite quick tip of all time. 
he shared it via or from it came via Andrew, but uh, he heard about it on the command control power podcast, which is another great show to listen to with lots of quick tips and, and things like that. Uh, the tip is that you can add modifier keys to your hot corners. So, you know, when you go in and you set up a, you know, a hot corner in, uh, where is it? It's in uh, desktop and screensaver. So you go to system preferences on your Mac, desktop and screensaver. Then in the lower right corner of screensaver, hot corners, dot, 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 that button. And you can pick what happens when you put your mouse in any one of the four corners of your uh, screen real estate. But I've found that when I do that, if I, I have one that puts my screen to sleep. But sometimes I just move my mouse too far to the corner and it puts my screen to sleep when I don't want my screen to be put to sleep. They have a solution for this, John, and I am happy to share it. I'm happy to know it and I'm happy to share it. When you're choosing from that menu, uh, hold down a modifier key like command or option. And now your hot corner hmm. needs that modifier key in order to be a hot corner. So now I have it so that command and lower left corner of my screen puts the display to sleep and, you know, or command in the upper right corner starts my screensaver, whatever you want to choose. But just hold down the option key or the command key and you'll see it when that menu's open. It'll, you know, it'll add that to the to the deal. Pretty cool, huh, John? Huh. Right. So shift control option and command. You can do any one of those. You can also combine them. Mm-hmm. It's true. You but you so I can't, could do like control option command. I don't know why you'd want to sure. so many keys right, <laughs> right. assigned to an action like that, but maybe to discourage yourself from uh accidentally hitting it. That's know. it. Yeah. Now I did try I couldn't get different things for the corner. Like you can't do command and one corner to be one thing and command or option and the same corner to be a different thing. There is as near as I can tell, one action allowed per corner. That's it. Uh, but still, b being able to have need to uh, put that key in there makes is a game changer for me because now I'll actually use my hot corners again. So thank you to everybody that conspired to make that tip uh, find its way to us. So very cool stuff. Donna, John, shares our last quick tip for the day here. Uh, she said, um, I opened control center and noticed that my flashlight icon was listed as unavailable. Uh, not unusual. I can usually correct it by opening and then exiting the camera. But so I opened the camera and saw a scary yellow triangle com containing an exclamation point in the top left corner. When I touched the triangle, I received an important message, which I'd never seen before. Flash is disabled. We're not talking about Adobe Flash. We're talking about your flash flash, the flash of your camera. The iPhone needs to cool down before you can use the flash. So evidently her phone had gotten hot for whatever reason. And uh, the flash is the first thing to turn off. So she wasn't getting any other temperature related messages. Just this one when trying to use the flash or flashlight. So. I, I think that's the first thing that is sort of disabled as the phone is stepping down its its temperature uh, threshold path, which I found fascinating, John. I don't know. I, I had never seen that before. Had you? Uh, yes. Really? 
And actually, a couple of weeks ago, um, when I was taking a trip on the highway and running ways, uh, my phone gave the other one that you get. Um, you know, I think it's a red triangle, and yeah, it says you know something similar. But it's just saying the the the, the error I got. It's, it was just saying the phone's too hot. Here's the weird thing, though, it was still running. Really? So it didn't it didn't shut down on you. It it it, it shut off the. I guess it disabled the screen because I guess that is a source of heat. Sure. Were you also yeah. charging the phone at the same time? Like, did you have it plugged yes. in? Okay, and it was in a case also. Okay, so case, screen, charging, and probably mm-hmm. warm, it, like baking in the sun on your near your dashboard or whatever, right? Oh, that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I have a dark dashboard, so yeah, the heat radiating off of that. There you go. Yeah, I've I've found I, I've been in those scenarios before and I've found unplugging the phone for a little mm-hmm. while is often enough to like allow me to keep using it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Fascinating. Fascinating. All right. Cool. Thanks for all the quick tips, folks. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is where you would send your quick tip in or your question or your cool stuff found. We love hearing from you. So make sure to send those mm-hmm. into us. At feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That is correct. Uh, All right. We have your questions to get to. Hopefully some cool stuff found to get to. The next thing that I want to get to is our sponsors, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. Absolutely. All right. Our first sponsor today is FastMail at FastMail.com slash MGG, where you can not only try FastMail free for 30 days, but then get 10% off your first year of email at FastMail. And I just moved to FastMail not that long ago. Quite frankly, it took me too long to decide to do this. Uh, I've been wanting to move to FastMail for years for a lot of reasons. One is because they provide email for people who care about their privacy. And we've been talking a lot about that here in FastMail. Definitely is that. In fact, they say right on their website, you don't have to trade privacy for productivity. What I didn't know, I knew that about FastMail. What I didn't know about FastMail was how easy that migration was going to be. They just slurped in all of my Google Mail. Like I just let them log into my, like automate, you know, in their automated system. I let them log into my Google Mail account. It just slurped it all over. I went to sleep. I woke up. My mail was moved over. They made it so easy. And now I'm in control of my workflow with all the tools to do the things my way. And it can be like super simple or super powerful. They have things like labels and rules and automatic filtering and calendars and more. They support my custom domain. They've been doing this for over 20 years, longer than we've been doing this show. So you need to check this out. Like I said, you can be part of the very best in email at fastmail.com slash MGG, where you can try Fastmail free for 30 days and then get 10% off your first year. Check it out. Fastmail.com slash MGG. And our thanks to Fastmail for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Headspace. I've told you that I've been a Headspace user on and off over the years, and I am back on again. And I'm even finding with the warm weather that I can use Headspace to meditate outside, in the sun, in the woods, by the pool, because Headspace is essentially this pocket-sized guide 
that helps me do this. And and then because I meditate, now I sleep a little better. I can focus a little better. I can act a little better because Headspace is my daily dose of mindfulness in the form of these guided meditations. And they're, they're super easy because they have, they tell you how long it's going to be, right? So if you've got 10 minutes, you can do a 10 minute meditation. If you've only got three minutes, you can do what they call their little SOS meditation. If you need help falling asleep, they've got meditations for that. They've got meditations you can do with your kids and group meditations and solo meditations. Like they know what they're doing. And that's because they're backed by 25 published studies on the benefits of how Headspace works. They've got over 600,000 five-star reviews, over 60 million downloads. You deserve to feel happier. And Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash MGG. That's headspace.com slash MGG for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. Like I said, free one-month trial. That's the best deal offered right now. So head to headspace.com slash MGG today and our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. Look, we're geeks here, or we're becoming geeks here. That's what we do on this show. And we geeks, we need servers for things. And when you need a server, Linode is the place to go because you can visit linode.com slash MGG, create your free account with your Google or GitHub account or just your email address, and you get $100 in credit that you can use to spin up your server. And you can do all kinds of things with these servers. If you're a developer, you can use it for your development stuff. If you want to run your own VPN, you can do it that way. You want to run your own Plex server, you can do it that way. Imagine Plex in the cloud. It's amazing. Linode lets you do all kinds of stuff. And certainly, if you want to be a real geek and get to the terminal, that's fine. I'm a real geek. I don't necessarily like to use the terminal. So there's different flavors of real geek, I suppose. And Linode's one-click apps allow me to deploy everything from all of this stuff. And it's fantastic because I don't have to deal with the terminal. I can just go through, click the right things, select the right options, and boom, my server is spun up. If I want to host my own WordPress site, whatever, it's all right there. And every plan comes with Linode's amazing human-powered customer support. If you need help, someone will pick up the phone, respond to your email, or reply to you on social media 24-7, 365. you got to check it out. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode, visit Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash M-G-G. That's Linode.com slash M-G-G. Click on the Create Free Account button to get started. And our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Let's, uh, Jeff has a question. We've been talking about privacy here. Actually, we're talking about it with Fastmail. Uh, Jeff asks, he says, I recently read uh, a Macworld.com article about Apple's private relay and how it differs from a VPN. Uh, the author, Jason Cross, came close to but didn't directly answer a question I have concerning this new service. Is information sent and received via iCloud Private Relay encrypted such that I can safely access my bank account via Safari from a public Wi-Fi hotspot? Okay, so the, the sh very short answer my and this would be my opinion uh, because there is no definitive answer to this, but the very short answer would be yes. Uh, there are two things to me that matter when accessing something from a public network right now. iCloud private relay is its stated purpose is more to protect you from being tracked in a variety of ways by your local network and by the places that you visit. Right. And anyone in between. Uh, 
but there's two pieces that matter to me. Number one is what data am I sending across? Like once I'm connected to my bank, can anybody see the data? And then the second thing is, does anyone know that I'm connecting to my bank? Right. And could they potentially, uh, you know, redirect where I'm going, a man in the middle attack, those sorts of things. So number one is never a problem because all of our banks require us via our browsers to use encrypted connections. So the data that is being sent back and forth between me and my bank or you and your bank is encrypted and no one gets to see that except you and your bank. So th that's good. Uh, and, and of course, iCloud Private Relay added to that also. No problem. Where iCloud Private Relay or a VPN would help even more is with the second thing, and that is the DNS lookup, the connection that's happening to see what site you're going to try and visit. And with uh, a VPN or Apple's iCloud Private Relay, all of that information is sent across the secure tunnel. So the local network at your coffee shop or whatever is not responsible for resolving that lookup. They don't know that you made that lookup. They don't know what your what site you're connecting to. So yes, in that sense, iCloud Private Relay works similarly to a VPN in that it solves those two problems for you. So yeah, I, I think iCloud Private Relay is very safe for banking activity and lots of other things too. So yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of what Apple's doing with iCloud Private Relay. If that if that hasn't been obvious in the last three episodes or two episodes, I suppose. Yeah, what it may cause, and a VPN would cause this as well, is I've had this happen before. So if I use private relay, I suspect this would happen again, is um, some sites, when you come to them, they're like, hey, I haven't seen you before. You got to uh, authenticate. <coughs> Excuse me. So that may happen more often. Yes. If you use a VPN or something like that, because as far as it knows, yeah, I mean, you're. Yeah, your nose. You you ha you are a new computer. That's right. You're coming from a new IP address. That's a that's mm -hmm. a good point. Yeah, you will be coming from one of the addresses, the exit node addresses of the private relay, uh, instead of wherever you actually are. So yeah, I and I do I get that with some of my banks often, where it's like, oh, you're in a different location. In fact, with my my IP address changes more frequently now with my fiber connection on consolidated than it ever hmm. did with like with my Comcast connection. I probably kept the same IP, IP address for years, well, easily months, probably years. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but with fiber, I'm finding it changes fairly frequently. Um, I, I, I don't obsess about it. There's not too many things where I see this as a problem, but I will occasionally get exactly those messages like, hey, you're coming from somewhere new. Can you do your two factor thing for me? And it's like, sure, I'll do the little dance. It's fine. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, more on that or time to go to Tony. Uh, yeah, I don't know about Tony here. Well, um, yeah, I don't know if I know the answer here. Um, Apple has changed the rules for tracking and for asking to be able to track. This app seems to be breaking the rules. Why is Apple allowing this? Um, he sends along a screenshot of words with friends, right? Two. And, and yeah, and it's asking the question, right? Can I track you? So I guess they're just 
being persistent. <laughs> I, I think I think that's that's it, John. Yeah. So the screenshot that Tony sent along and I'll he cre- he posted on Medium about this, too. Uh, so you can see the screenshot. This is a screenshot from the app itself saying, hey, tracking it's it's marketing. It's persuasion is what this is. Oh, OK. Okay, so it's it's a little screen explaining why they why you want to let them track you. Okay, Mm -hmm. and and it even has an agree button on it. Now, it doesn't need an agree or a decline button, um, although they can do some different functionality uh, with your input from that button. But this doesn't control whether or not the app can track all that this screen controls is whether the app then tells iOS to ask you if you want to be tracked. Now, if you have gone in to uh, the settings, privacy and tracking and turned off the option to never allow apps to ask you to track, then this screen seems weird because even if you hit agree here, you won't get the Apple prompt as to whether or not you want to let this app track you because you've, you've said, don't ask me. So the app is asking you, Will you please say yes to the next prompt you're about to see? That's really what they're doing. And by having the agree icon there, they, you know, they they get you in the habit of saying yes. And then the next thing comes up and they're even showing you a little screenshot that says slide the allow tracking to be yes. You know, and they say what uh, 82% of players toggle allow tracking. Well, it might be 82% of a group of, you know, 20 words with friends to employees that work uh, on the development team so that they can track themselves. I don't think it's 82% of words with friends to players. I think it's more like about 4% of words with 10 friends to mm-hmm. players based on all the metrics that we're seeing about how many people are allowing tracking on, uh, on iOS. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think this is just a persuasion technique. We saw this from Facebook. We saw it from Instagram. WhatsApp is getting really interesting with this, right? Where they're going to start taking features away if you don't let them track you. So there's that. That gets interesting. Um, but uh, but yeah, they, they are. This is not the. It would be better if the app could pull the OS. Maybe the app can pull the OS and find out if you have, you know, the the option to even allow them to ask you turned on. But they don't want to do that. They want to try and persuade you into turning it on and you know like more power to them but thankfully we're here to have these conversations i don't i like i still have yet to turn on i do have the option to allow them to ask me enabled and that's simply because you know we do this show and i like to watch that stuff but i so far seven apps have asked me john facebook instagram speed test ticketmaster trip it tv time and twitter and again, this is them asking to track you when you are using other apps and websites, not their own app. Their own app gets to track you all the time that you're using their own app because it's their own app. So if you want Ticketmaster to track you inside of Ticketmaster's app, well, you don't, you don't like you've, you've given them permission by launching the app. That's all that needs to happen there. This is across apps. So. Yeah. So I haven't given permission to anything to track me amongst uh, across other apps. Have you? I think you said you Mm -hmm. gave like something permission, right? Yeah. Who did you give permission Uh, to? Oh, like Redbox and. Right. Yeah, because I get useful notifications. Yeah. If if an app asks me and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, 
I've gotten a notification that I found useful, then I'm like, yeah, sure, track me. Like, like what notification okay have that. you gotten from Redbox? Yeah, no, and, and it's like it's an eyes wide open decision. I'm I'm just now curious. Like, what notification has Redbox given you that that came from them being able to track you in other apps? Um, I think if it knows if I'm near one of their kiosks, it may remind me, hey, you know. No, that's lo- that's location tracking. That's not mm. uh, that's not cross app. You could turn off oh, okay. cross app tracking to get location tracking there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, this is this is not universal tracking. This is tracking when you're using other apps. So, for yes. example, Redbox could know that you purchased a uh, uh, you know Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book. And then they might recommend that movie to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like that would be potentially what they'd be able to do with cross app tracking or that you visited a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy website or something mm-hmm. like that. That's how they would, that's what that would do. But location tracking, that's a whole different thing. You, you control that okay. in, in location preferences. Yeah. 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 So like Ticketmaster, I give the option to track my location so that it can pop up my ticket when I'm outside of a concert venue, for example, mm-hmm. but that, that has nothing to do with cross app. So That's yeah, you could right. turn off cross app for Redbox. My guess is you'd still get those notifications. So, all right. It's fascinating. You want to take us to, while we're on the, uh, the privacy protection thing, you want to take yeah. us to Luann? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Luann says, I recently tried to install some Adobe apps on my Mac and I kept getting an error message from Adobe. Reading the logs and help pages, I could not figure this out until I finally stumbled on a page explaining system integrity protection and how to disable it. <laughs> Following instructions, I turned it off. I was able to install my apps and then turned it back on. Apparently, this has been a problem since 2017. My question is, is this a problem on Adobe's side of things or is this an Apple problem? Or is it a problem on my end with perhaps... Uh, an old corrupted install file from years ago. Um, I would like to understand this for future problems. Um, I, I think you had something to say about this, Dave, here. I personally, I mean, I only use Adobe Reader. I, uh, so I don't really live in the Adobe world, but I don't know. It's... Uh, it makes me nervous that you have to do this to install. Uh, I'm not sure what piece of Adobe software um, they're trying to install. I, I I have not run into this personally. No, I haven't run into it either. Uh, but I did a, sl- uh, a search for Adobe and system integrity protection and found a, a help article from Adobe that says when installing creative cloud desktop apps, uh, you need to give correct permissions to the slash TMP folder. And uh, they, they discuss, you know, what the symptoms are that, that this causes. And they say, if you can't change the permissions on the slash TMP folder, then you might need to disable system integrity protection so that you can give the correct permissions Uh to the slash TMP folder. But the thing is, it shouldn't be using that folder in that way. No, there's other temp folders that you are supposed to use. And uh, I don't know why they're they're like the installers have like a sandbox temp folder that they are permitted to write Mm -hmm. to. It's not a problem. I don't know why Adobe is obsessing about using like what, what one would call the Unix standard 
temp folder, mm-hmm. which is at slash TMP. Uh, I, I mean, it could be argued that Apple is breaking Unix, Unix conventions by, by uh, securing that. But there are like, if you want to look at holes in Unix and how to like sneak yourself root access onto a Unix machine, especially if you rewind like 20 years, the temp folder was the place to go and do this because it's world writable. You could get the root user to execute something that was living in the temp folder that you could then write to like it, it's the source of a lot of Swiss cheese in, uh, in, in Unix. So locking it down a little bit, like I, I get why this might be something that Apple wanted to lock down, but they created a better path. Adobe's just not following it evidently. Hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm with short version. I'm with you. Shouldn't have to do this, but you might have to. And I put this article that I found in the in the yes. show notes so that okay. uh, if Luann wants it, it's right there. So thank you. Yeah, man. Yes. All right. Steve points out something that I had not yet seen. And this is the beauty of um uh, of you know WWDC and all those developer sessions. There's so much be- beyond the keynote. There's three we, you know, when we talked with Dave Mark, we had watched what I call parts one and two of the WWDC keynote. We watched the keynote and the state of the union. There is then of course, part three, which is uh, John Gruber's talk show where he interviews a couple of Apple execs. There's always good information in there. Like for example, uh, that even if you're not an iCloud plus subscriber, you will still have all of the known trackers, all the trackers that Safari knows about will be run through iCloud private relay. So those are running through iCloud private relay a hundred percent of the time. If, if they can, uh, whether or not you are an iCloud plus subscriber and iCloud plus just means you are paying something for iCloud 99 cents a month or more for more storage is essentially what that turns into. So, um, so that was a, that, that was a, a, a good little tidbit from the the talk show. And I will put that in the, um, uh, in the show notes, a link to that in the show notes. Another thing that, that uh, John Gruber pointed out, uh, he sent a link to my article about iCloud private relay. So thank you, John. Uh, and he had trouble turning it on, uh, on his computer. And so I will link to his little piece that explains how to enable iCloud private relay. Really it's, it, it's, I think it needs to just sync up with the system. My guess is this is an iCloud or an iOS beta issue. It's not going to happen when you, you know, when the release comes out, but it will tell you, even if you're already a subscriber, it'll say you have to subscribe. If you just back out of things and come back in or reboot your phone, it will sync back up and you will have iCloud private relay and all that good stuff. Um, So thank you for that too, John. Uh, this was this next thing was not in any of the three parts of the keynote, but this comes from Steve, which he found. Uh, I guess actually he found it over on uh, on Mac Rumors, but uh, but they found it in one of in the documentation for one of the sessions at uh, at WWDC that Apple int- introduced a new mail kit framework for mail extensions. Now this is. To me, this was huge news because mail plugins have been one of these things that have been tolerated, but really not supported by Apple. Like the, if like all the people that make all the mail plugins that John and I talk about on the show or Dave Mark talked about one, like those people are basically on their own to figure out how to do what they do. Like Apple does not have a whole lot of support for them. Well, now they do, but 
these plugins are limited uh, or the the frameworks are limited in macOS Monterey, but they have four categories that mail extensions can use compose. So things that are for when composing email actions that like custom rules for incoming mail, uh, such as color coding an email or moving it to a separate inbox or marking it as red or flagged, right? Content blocking and message security. So extensions that can sign or encrypt email. So I, like, I'm not sure if something like signature profiler could work, but actually I guess it could John, because that's composing an email, right? That's one of the ones that we use is compose. Um, I don't know if things like sending an email on a delay would work still, which is something mail act on does uh, because the rules, these actions are only, it, it says in Apple's documentation, only apply, only applicable to incoming emails. But the fact that Apple has created these and hopefully will expand them to me is a really good thing. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what our, our mail plugin developers friends think about this and we'll go from there. But thank you for sending that in, Steve. It's good, uh, good stuff. So I don't know. What do you think about that, John? Any, uh, any thoughts? Uh, as long as my plugins still work. Yeah, that's the thing. So I think this is, I agree with you is that every time they make the slightest change to mail, it always yells at you about, Oh, your plugins are not compatible anymore or you got to install new ones. Sure. As I understand it, I did a little bit of digging as I understand it. There haven't been a whole lot of framework changes about mail plugins in Monterey. And it's, which is good news in that it seems like, any plugins that we currently use for mail will likely survive the transition to Monterey. Now, the question is, will the next version of macOS, so the 2022 version of macOS, presuming they do another version next year, will that support mail plugins as we currently know them? Not the, It will certainly support these new types of extensions, but will it support mail plugins? That we don't know. So... The days may be numbered on those. In fact, I think they probably are numbered on those, but they're not, you know, they're more than 365. The, the number is greater than 365, <laughs> uh, but may not be that much greater than 365. So we, sh- we will find out. Thanks, Steve. Want to bring us to uh, John? Uh, we got a head scratcher from John here. Um, For many months, I've noticed that the startup chime on my 2019 iMac sounds distorted. I tried things like PVRAM reset, SMC reset, but they didn't fix it. From searching on Google, I found a suggestion of toggling on and off the startup chime checkbox on system preferences, but that didn't help. Um, I contacted Apple support and they instructed me to carry out similar things, which didn't help. The internal speakers. uh, Let's see. Uh, The internal speakers are capable of playing sound once the system is booted without any issues okay Okay. that's good um this occurred before i installed big sur and the upgrade to big sur didn't make any difference in terms of audio i have loopback installed and use the apogee element 24 with its drivers installs um but as far as i recall these issues existed before adding those i could be wrong uh it doesn't make any difference if i have my system audio set to internal speakers or the apogee interface um, I vaguely remember something about sound being emitted from the motherboard. No, it's, it's speakers in that machine. Um, rather than the speakers in some circumstances. 
but maybe I dreamt that. I think you dreamt that. <laughs> um, I was suggested a corrupted firmware, something like this. The Mac is under Apple Care and around 12 months old. Can you think of anything else to try? Uh, and he even has a sound clip, which, uh-oh. I will play it. Great. Sounds distorted to me. <laughs> Let's hear it thir- a third time. Yeah. Yeah. That's no bueno. That's no bueno. Um. It's good that his speaker works. Like, play, you know, like, because it sounds like a, a like a torn speaker cone or something, you know, along those lines. It's definitely yeah, or distorted. It's, yeah. Or it's like overmodulated. Well, that's um, what distorted means. But yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Another definition. Right. Um. It almost sounds like a bad speaker. It's just weird that it only handles with the startup chime. Right. Uh, PRAM and SMC. Yeah, those are always good things to try. Um, you know, I I think bad. Fr- it may be bad firmware or a corrupted driver. So maybe reinstalling the OS. Is the startup chime even included with the OS? I thought that was on the firmware. I mean, I suppose it it could write it to the firmware, maybe, but it doesn't sound like a driver or anything. I mean, it, like the OS isn't anywhere near even beginning to be loaded when we hear that sound, right? So it's definitely stored mm-hmm. in the firmware. That's weird. So that's my thought. Um, sometimes what you will notice is is every now and then, when you do a software update, you may notice the progress bar. Sometimes it's thick. As far as I know, that means that it's doing a firmware update in addition to uh, a OS update. Sure. So that's why I think trying to reinstall from recovery, maybe. Uh, that's 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 all I got. Or the speaker. Maybe the speaker's bad. I don't know. There's some weird resonance thing with the speaker. Maybe replace the speaker. <laughs> but he says if he says the speaker works to play yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. but it could be. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a speaker down in my office. It's a set of audio engine A2s. I believe it's the A2s. Maybe the A2 pluses. I don't know. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's one of those, you know, the, the smaller versions of theirs. And one of the the cones on one of the speakers is like a little bit torn and there's a certain frequency where mm-hmm. I hear it, but the rest of the time it's like crystal clear and sounds fantastic. So like it could be that, that there, you know, that it's just that, that little speaker on the motherboard is, is torn and whatever note in that chord that plays resonates the wrong way with that particular speaker. But either way, Apple care is your friend here. Like that's, that's what I would, that's where I would go with it. So. Yavel. All right. Where are we here? You want to go to Ken? Uh, Ken. Yeah. Um, okay. I've noticed on two iMacs with multiple users, each iMac has only one admin account. All software is updated by the user account, which enters the supervisor password when required. I've noticed that other users are being asked to upgrade what has already been upgraded. So do I ignore the notification or do the upgrade? Um, To me, it sounds like a wonky installer. 
I haven't had something ask me, you know, install for all users or installs for, for specific users. So um, I, I'd be curious what uh, vendor, but you, you maybe see if they have a newer installer. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I like I agree with all of your advice. Yes, let every user do the installation because there might be mm-hmm. something that it's putting in the user folder that it needs access to. It shouldn't be, but you know, you don't know. Uh, and if you want the app to work properly. Yeah. But that's, that's weird. I, I agree. Contact the developer. Yeah. I, yeah. All right. Moving on. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, I asked for advice on in two episodes. We've talked about, advice for me for capturing notes while on the go with my watch. I think this will be the last conversation about it, but you know, I mean the last one for a while, but I did get two pieces this week, John, that I wanted to share. Uh, Lauren wrote in, uh, Siri will let you add text to a specific note. If you're really scared of filling her notes with a bunch of unrelated scraps, just have her add text to a previous note. And I tried this. Thank you. Lauren, uh, it works. If I say, you know, Siri, add prep next week's Mac Geek Gab to idea capture note, then it will add that as a new line to a note named idea capture. So that works. And thank you. It's awesome. Uh, it makes a big difference. However, uh, I, I was happy about that. Really happy and for about an hour. And then I read Andre's note. And Andre's note was the key. He says, uh, I'm listening to the show and thinking of how I can help with your text myself idea. First, create a reminders list. So this is outside of notes, but it's fine. Bear with me here. Create a reminders list called ideas. Create a shortcut. Call it brain. Add a dictation step in the workflow. Choose add reminder to ideas with the magic variable being input from the dictation and save it. Then just say Siri brain dictate your idea and it will pump it into a reminder in your reminders list called ideas. So this is brilliant. I didn't want it in a reminders list. I wanted it in a note, but I know that I can put it in a note based on the last tip, right? So stitch it all together. Uh, and I created a shortcut, John. Uh, and so now my shortcut is I say, Siri, I have an idea. And from there, uh, I do the dictate text thing. And then I had to put in a nothing step. Don't know why. Just to separate things out. Then I had to find the note called idea capture and then append the dictated text to the note that I called idea capture. And boom, it works perfectly. So now I'm on my bike. I can say, Siri, I have an idea. And boom, it it says, what do you want to say? And I say it and it pumps it into the note and I'm good. It's pretty awesome. So thank you to both Lauren and Andre for, um, for getting us there. It's good stuff. I like it. (laughs) Pretty cool. Huh, John? Have you messed with shortcuts at all? Uh, Not really. Oh man. I've like, these are right up your alley. I think you, I think you'd love them. I really do. All right. Uh, where are we here on time? We are at 55. We can, we can do a couple more questions and we'll do some cool stuff found. Uh, listener Tim asks today, my USB-C charger for my MacBook pro 
got stolen along with my MagSafe charger for my iPhone 12. Well, that sucks, Tim. I'm sorry mm. to hear that. He says, so I need to replace them. I'm looking for advice. Should I go through Apple for a standard replacement uh, equipment or are there other options that come from third parties? So again, sorry to hear it. Uh, the good news is that now that we live in the USB-C world, you do not need to buy Apple specific chargers for your MacBook Pro. For your MagSafe charger for your iPhone 12, I think you probably are still in an Apple world. I haven't seen any third party MagSafe clone chargers that I would trust. There's plenty of Qi chargers, so obviously you can go that route. But if you want MagSafe, I think you need to go with Apple. But as far as powering your MagSafe charger, that's USB-C on the other end. So you can go with anything. Uh, I, you know, the I, I'm, I'm a big fan of what Anchor's doing. Uh, there's a lot of other brands out there that, that are also doing great things. Uh, just make sure they're a trustworthy third party, not some, you know, fly-by-night company. But there's, there's plenty of them out there. There's good ones. Um, just make sure that both the charger and, as we've recently discussed, the cable that you buy deliver enough power to charge your MacBook Pro. Um, you can look in Mac Tracker to see what your computer's original equipment charger delivered. And I would suggest matching that at a minimum. Um, you know, some are going to require 85 watts at a minimum. Some are going to require 40 watts at a minimum. Uh, those minimums are not necessarily hard and fast minimums. You like, certainly I have charged a MacBook pro that came with a 85 watt charger with a 60 watt and it's totally fine, but there might be occasions, especially if you're using the computer while it's charging, where you do want that minimum level of, of charge to be available. So, so just make sure you're getting one that, that matches that, but like, you know, for your, um, for your MagSafe, those tiny little things that I forget that I think it's the PowerPort Nano three. I want to say I'll find it and put a link in the show notes, but it's that thing that anchor makes. That's like the size of the original little tiny iPhone charger, but it's 20 Watts of USB C power delivery, which is awesome. So hopefully that helps. And it, again, that sucks that your stuff got stolen. So I don't know. What do you yeah, have? To I got the, um, yeah. So, so for MagSafe, I have apples, Sure. And then, um, yeah, I'm with you anchor. So, so I got one that I think is, uh, so it has two USB A and two USB C and I think it's rated at 85 Watts. Okay. Um, and it'll split it among the, uh, the various ports. Sure. Intelligently. Sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I did though. Yeah. You, you want to make sure you get, a a, a good cable. Because I actually found that some cables will only will, will limit the amount of current that they they carry or power, um, and the the reason I knew that is I went in um, uh, iStat menus has a uh, one of their menus will show you the various uh, power levels um, on the machine, including the total wattage. Sure. Sure. So what I did is once I started charging it, uh, DC in it's listed at, uh, I looked at the number and I'm like, Hey, wait, there's something wrong with this cable. It's not delivering, uh, 85 Watts. And then, you know, I got a better cable <laughs> and it did. So, um, yeah, I stat menus. Uh, I'm not sure if that's in system info also. Right. Right. Maybe it is. 
But, um, yeah, his issue is he doesn't have his original one. So that's why right, right. I was like, yeah, go ahead and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, look it up in Mac Tracker and, and then you'll get yourself there. So the it's the Anchor Nano that I was thinking of, not the not the Nano 3. Maybe the Nano 3 is mm-hmm. coming. I don't know. Maybe I just made up a new product for them. Uh, the original Anchor Nano is a 20 watt power supply. Again, these are all pretty much the same size as the tiny little brick. The Nano 2, the base model is 30 watts. They have a 45 watt model and they have a 65 watt model all in that really uh like you know tiny form factor. So again, I'll I'll put a link to all of it in the show notes you can figure it out. So All right. Uh where are we here? You want to take us to Patricia John? Yeah, okay. Uh, friends, what's going on here? Uh, 10.15.7 in iMac and Safari 14.1. When I opened Google Maps yesterday, I got a greatly magnified version that is just not workable. Everything is enlarged. And the same goes for using Google Search. Zoom does not improve the text situation. I can open the same pages in Chrome and text and images are as they should be. All of the pages in Safari load correctly. Is um, it's only Google that's reacting this way. I've done restarts, close Safari, check system preferences. It all comes down to Google not playing nice at all in Safari. Um, currently unusable. Is there a setting somewhere I'm missing or is Google once again broken with the latest update? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think Google's broken. <laughs> yeah, no, it worked fine for me, but I'll tell you where to look. Cause actually I was having a problem with, uh, with a financial site. It just wouldn't let me log in Mm. um or we keep going in circles um yeah bringing me back to the uh, the login page um once i had or last pass it entered my credentials and i'm like why does it keep going in circles um i then remember that at some point i said remember me so what i think is it did it is it planted a cookie um so here's what I think you, I think it may be a, a corrupt cookie or other piece of data stored in the browser. So here's where you go. Safari, preferences, privacy, manage website data. You will then see a list of all the data that is stored for each of the sites that you have visited. Um, so I type in Google and whack all of that data. Um that this worked for me. This solves my login problem by by whacking um, the uh, all of the data stored um, that the site had stored in the past. I like it. That's great. One one warning I will share that page or that preference pane has two buttons at the bottom. One is remove, and the other is remove all. <laughs> Even once you filtered down. I have yet to test to see if remove all only removes what your search filter is showing or if it removes everything in the list in its entirety. So I always highlight them and click remove and I stay far away from the remove all button. Your mileage may vary. If somebody knows the answer, feedback at MacGeekUp.com, please. Uh, But I have yet to test that. So I just wanted to share that that Mm -hmm. little thought there. So feedback. At I think it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. <laughs> I agree. Um, so that's one thing. Um, another one is our pal Onyx can help uh, clean things up. Um, and where I'd look there would be maintenance, 
cleaning options internet. Um, and then choose the things within that category uh, that could help. And then finally, uh, starting up in safe mode. Huh. It never hurt and sometimes gets rid of cache junk as well. Sure. So Yeah. Or I yeah. think it rebuilds kernel extensions or something like that. But, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, that's, you're, you're right. That's, so among those three, one of them has to work, I hope. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could always try in a different browser just to see. I'm not sure if she said she did that. Uh, but, you know, just to confirm that it's not some setting in your Google account. I, I think your cookie thing is the right answer. Mm. Uh, but, yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll do two little tips and then we'll jump to cool stuff found and see how far we get. Uh, listener Steve shares a little bit more. We were talking in the last episode about Office 365 and the $99 per year family plan. He says, uh, Dave, you mentioned that you also get Word, Excel and PowerPoint. In addition to those, you get Outlook, which is surprisingly good on a Mac. I used to hate Outlook, he says, but it has dramatically improved. It's worth a try, especially if you use the included email, Outlook.com, with things like add an email rule. And it syncs to the web client, which means it essentially syncs to all of your devices. Why hasn't Apple done this, he says. I know it isn't cool to use Microsoft products, and they used to be awful, but they've done a really good job of improving them. It's, additionally, it's a pretty good value for the money, as you pointed out. You get all the following for six devices. Outlook, one terabyte of OneDrive service per user storage rather teams word excel powerpoint one note to do family safety calendar which is in uh, outlook and then skype so thank you for that steve yeah it, it it's a pretty impressive thing for 99 bucks a year for the entire family that's that's the price that it should be like that like there's good value there i, I really it's nice to see that because it used to be a lot more money than that let's just point that out um all right uh any thoughts to share on that before we share Matt's tip here, John? Nope. Okay, cool. Matt was one of the ones who, like me, was suffering battery drain on our iPhones. And Matt, uh, my issue turned out to be, oh, what, what did I say it was? I can't even remember anymore. Somebody out there will remember for me. Um, but Matt <laughs> found that his issue was Wi-Fi was causing uh, his his problems. Oh, mine was reset network settings. I reset network settings and my problems went away. Uh, Matt did that. They went away for a little bit and then they came back. He found when he had his phone plugged in that, uh, you know, you go to the options for it, uh, which you do in the finder now. And there's the checkbox that used to be there in iTunes that says show this phone when on Wi-Fi. Having that box checked immediately starts his battery draining Unchecking it immediately stops the excessive drain. So that's another one. The old, the, I did find that I could get mine to drain again if I turned on iMazing's uh, Wi-Fi backups. So I turned those off too, and I just let it do iCloud, and it'll do iMazing when I plug in, but but not over Wi-Fi. Hmm. And that that has done it. So reset network settings. I'm glad I remembered. Uh, turn off, show this phone when on Wi-Fi in the Finder, and then... Uh, Make sure, you know, you're, you're managing your Wi-Fi uh, with iMazing. So thank you, Matt. Great stuff. I appreciate you sharing that. It's good. All right. Uh, let's go to Cool Stuff Found, shall we, John? Sure. Okay. Lauren starts us off. I tried using Spotlight to find misplaced applications, and it seems to find everything except what I want. As a test, I tried searching on M for mail. 
It brought up my laser printer, keyboard maestro, and messages. I tried expanding it to MA, and it found migration assistant, migration assistant user. I found that if you assign launchpad to a keyboard shortcut, say control space. So this is built into Mac OS, right? This is launchpad. But if you assign it to a keyboard shortcut like control space, it will act exactly like spotlight, but search only applications. So this gets, this is where it gets interesting and it will, uh, it, you know, it, it, uh, without doing things like, you know, the documents and the folders and the web searches and dictionary searches, he says spotlight is good at a great many things. It's not so great as an app launcher. Launchpad is much better. All right. I got to try this. So yeah, that's a really smart thing to do the keyboard shortcut for spotlight. I like this. That's a good little hack. I'm not sure if that's a quick tip for a cool stuff found, but I'm glad we mentioned it. Thank you for that. Lauren, uh, Michael, go ahead. Oh, sorry, John. Did you have something to add to that? uh, Well, just to point out here, um, you can, if you go to System Preferences Spotlight, um, search results will dictate what is shown in the pull down. So you could just uncheck everything except applications. Um, Just to to the point that, you know, there's all sorts of, this is how you control what uh what stuff is seen that fair point yep that's right that's that's a and that's great advice yeah good uh michael says i heard you talk about how you have your data backed up and in a disaster you would probably build a new mac and restore your data then you mentioned that getting your app configurations back to where they were can be a time-consuming process there is a free open source cool open source cool. Well, it's a cool tool uh, for backing up Macs, Mac and Linux dot files. The speaking thing. Not so easy for me today. Uh, it's called YADM. Yet another dot file manager uh, at YADM.io. It's very well supported and would likely solve your problem of getting all your configs rebuilt. And it also works on Linux. Thank you for that. We will put a link to that in the show notes, Michael. You rock. Pretty cool. YADM. I didn't know that there were other dot file managers. So this one as yet another comes as, you know, it's kind of new to me. Craig, John has found something that he calls more of a cool deal found than cool stuff on Amazon for about 30 bucks. I found this essentially an Apple pencil. We'll use the word clone, but it's not an exact clone. But it clones a lot of the functionality of an Apple Pencil, and you can get it for about 30 bucks on Amazon. He said, uh, initial impression is that it is 100% feature equivalent to the Apple Pencil 1, uh, about half price of what you'd pay for an Apple Pencil 1. And it is charged over USB-C, which is cool. It just plugs into the side of it, so you're not trying to plug it into the lightning port and breaking it off your Mac. Um, but, uh, he says, if you're new to using the Apple pencil and, or just got an iPad and want something for the kids or casual use, this might be the ticket. So thank you, Pensacola Craig for sharing that with us. That's pretty good. We'll, uh, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself, but that I like it. I like it. I like it pretty good. This is what cool stuff found is about. Uh, John Scott shares something, uh, called, I think it's called Stroutomator. It says, you often talk about uh, on the show about riding your bike. Uh, he says, I clock about 150 miles a week. And I thought you would want to know about an app that I use called for 
for Strava. So Strava is a, a, a tracker for your uh, either cycling or running and perhaps other things. And it's called Stratomator. Stratomator takes the data from your Strava recorded rides and puts it directly into any calendar you choose. I've attached a screenshot, which he showed us today's ride. And it has all kinds of things. It says that he rode 30 miles uh, and he had a climbing ratio of 1.04. The temperature was this. It shows what bike he rode, his average speed. All of that is put into a calendar entry, which is pretty cool. Uh, he says, it's become one of my favorite calendar editions. Uh, I don't need to go back to Strava anymore to see historical data from my past rides. Very cool. I stopped using Strava when Apple's health app or fitness app, I should say, got better uh, in talking back and forth with Scott. It, like it, it, Apple's app isn't quite detailed enough for someone that enjoys being obsessive about these things. I, I am someone you know this from knowing me and listening to me for years, but you know, I, I do enjoy obsessing about things. My cycling tracking, my, my bike rides is not one that I'm overly obsessive about, but it is nice. Like I do like using the Apple watch to just like, you know, track the ride and you get credit for it. It's great. It's good. So I don't know, but this looks, this looks cool. Do you still use Strava? You were the one that turned me onto that years ago, John. Um, I haven't used it in a while, but yeah, I, I would, log my bike rides and yeah. uh, or like long walks like when i used to uh go to manhattan sure i would log my walk from uh grand central to the javits sure and and, and strava share it with people because people want to know these things <laughs> that's true strava does have that um like like uh it's a social network type style element to it as well where you can see what your friends are riding or walking or biking or whatever mm. so yeah 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 cool um we talked a long time ago john i have one cool stuff found on my own to add uh, we talked a long time ago where i was asking how people are tracking what they are watching what shows they're watching because with things spread all across, you know, it, it, the, the problem that TiVo solved for me years ago is no longer solved by TiVo. I don't just have one now playing list that shows me everything. And so I wound up downloading a bunch of apps and I have found I gravitated towards one called TV Time. Uh, it's available for it's on the Web, but it's also, of course, on iPhone, Android, all that good stuff. It it just works for me. It lists the shows. It will tell me what I can watch next. So it knows when new episodes are available of the shows that I watch. It also pays attention to if I've stopped watching a show, like if I haven't checked off a new episode recently, it'll eventually move those into a shows you haven't watched recently category. Uh, it, it really like it has helped us because there's shows we just forget that we're watching. It's like, Oh, right. We were watching that show. It just, you know, if it was in like, Amazon Prime is one that we don't use as frequently as, say, you know, Apple TV Plus or Netflix. And so was, we would just forget about a show that was in there. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, we can watch that show. That's mm -hmm. great. So or if, you know, we have shows some that we, you know, have have ripped into Plex or whatever. So it, this this has been fantastic. So it's called TV Time. And yours, I can tell. I think it's free. I don't think I paid for it. Um, I might have paid for it. I don't know. But it it's um, it works. Whatever I paid for it, it was worth it. So there you go. That's what I got. You got anything else for today, John? Is that our uh, that our thing? How do you track what you watch on TV? 
Um, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's the problem. Right. I mean, I got my shows on my TiVo, so I I watch a lot of shows that I get through cable. Um, Disney, you know, yeah. they, they're pretty good about saying, "Hey, here's a new show. Hey, here's a new show." Sure. Oh yeah, um, each each service. Netflix. Right. Each service is great about remembering what I'm watching and and show me the next episode. It's just that when I sit down to watch something, I don't want to have to go through four services mm-hmm. to decide, or, you know, launch four different apps to decide, okay, what do I want to watch? I, so this, it's great. I'd launch one app on my phone. I look at it, Lisa and I talk about, oh, let's watch this. Okay, great. Sounds good. Off we go. So we've been enjoying City on a Hill. I think it's on Showtime. Again, I don't even mm-hmm. remember where these things are. It might be the best role Kevin Bacon has ever played. Uh, it like I'm, I, it's been fantastic. So he's a, he's a well. It's about Boston cops, but he's an FBI agent. But still, you know, it's good stuff. All right, that's what I got. It's time to bring in the band, John. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for sending in your stuff to feedback mm-hmm. at macgeekup.com. Feedback at macgeekup. Feedback at MackieCub.com. I figure we do it three times, so we did it three times of three times. So we like three, it. three to the third. No, three to the three to the third. No, no, uh, I don't know. It's too much. It's too much. It's too much. This math stuff's hard, John. Stick to the computers. Uh, yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for uh, thanks for it all. Great tips today. Really great tips this week, folks. Like you're killing it, killing it. Make sure to check out the Mac Geekab forums. We've got a lot of you that are sharing some more in-depth things in the forums. So make sure you go check those out at MacGeekab.com slash forums. Anywhere you want to send them, my friend? Um, Twitter. So, he is Dave Hamilton. I am John F. Braun. There's, uh, uh, there's a couple others. Uh, Mac Observer, Mac Geekab, and Pilot Pete. There you go. Find out what he's doing. I think we might be able to get Pete back into a semi irregular schedule. I was, I was, I emailed him the other night. So, yeah, it'd be good to have him back for sure. All right. Thanks again, folks. Fun times. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Of course, the ones we mentioned here in the episode headspace.com slash MGG, linode.com slash MGG, of course, fastmail.com slash MGG. Make sure you check out smilesoftware.com slash podcast, maxsales.com, barebones.com, hero.com slash MGG. Thanks for hanging out. I don't know what else to say, John. Do you have anything else to say? I know exactly what to say, Dave, and that is don't get caught. Made up.